Aloha, my name is Matthew Gray and welcome to today's episode of 50 Tastes of Gray. We're going to be exploring the vibrant world of Elizabeth Armstrong Zacharias, aka Eliz to me and you. She does the Means to Travel YouTube channel. Eliz is a dedicated explorer, shares valuable travel insights, destination facts, budget tips. She knows about all the airlines. She knows about all of the special lounges and where to get the best food. Uh, She really knows her stuff when it comes to travel. We had a great time talking about all different things. And we talked about her husband, Derek, who apparently is a bit of a ham. And he's a great sidekick and a wonderful photographer. And best of all, they are going to be new mommy and daddy very, very soon. This promises to be a captivating journey into the means to travel universe. So don't miss this one. By the time you listen to it, she may very well be a mommy. Exciting. Once again, Eliz from Means to Travel YouTube channel. She's great. You love this show. Aloha. Eliz, I'm so happy you're here today on 50 Tastes of Grey. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you and your audience today. Oh, fantastic. You're one of my favorite YouTube stars. I always start off every show by asking my guests, what have you eaten today? Oh my. So today is a Monday. So it's a little bit um, of a leftover day, but I'll start with breakfast. I made myself a smoothie, a protein smoothie in my Vitamix, Um, not leftovers. (laughs) That one had uh, some berries, banana, um, a, a, a like pea protein that has a chocolate flavor, uh, chia seeds, cashew yogurt, um, spinach, and acai powder. So all of that mixed up, and it gives me a great start to the day. And then for lunch, since I am in Chicago and it's the afternoon already, <laughs> um, I've already had some leftover Mexican food, enchiladas and rice and beans specifically that we had yesterday and um, had some leftovers from. So in the leftovers, and when you prepare them, are they leftovers from restaurants or leftovers from the previous week's food or night's food that you prepared in your home? This particular leftovers was leftover from a restaurant. Um, however, I definitely like when I do cook at home, and my husband and I both like to cook at home, um, we often create more than we need to eat in one night, Mm -hmm. not only for kind of convenience, so we don't have to cook every single day, (laughs) but just so we can have something to munch on in case there's tight timeframes between meetings or something, because both of us work from home. (laughs) So sometimes, you know, you're just kind of running to the kitchen real quick. Food plays a very important role for you, doesn't it? It does. It does. And it's funny. um, I'm super excited to be on this podcast because I would say I've become more of a foodie as an adult. Um, Growing up, I was more of a picky eater and post-college. So the past 15 years or so, I've become more and more of an adventurous eater. And my husband has really helped me blossom in that way because his family is extremely food oriented and like food is love for them. Oh, yeah. He and I might be a little bit related. (laughs) It's possible. (laughs) When you were growing up, when you were back in your picky days, were you very Mm -hmm. limited as to what you wanted mommy to make? Yes. And in in fact, I should probably say um, both my parents worked growing up. And so I want to give them that credit that they ran very busy schedules. I 
was in daycare from starting at three months old. And so they would pick me up from daycare around 6 p.m. and come home and fix what they could. Um, It just was never really that intricate. And honestly, it was a factor of the lifestyle. Um, I'm sure that they would have branched out if they had more time to, but that's just how it is when you're commuting back and forth to and from um, the suburbs of Chicago to the city and both people work full time, I I feel. When you were young, did mom teach you to cook or did you learn later? How funny is this? Normally we would have kind of like pre-cooked meals. I'm not sure if you are familiar with this, given how much of a foodie you are, but there was something called market day when I was growing up that they, you could buy a frozen pre-cooked meal, almost like a chef had created it and then Uh frozen it. And it was a fundraising um, vehicle for churches and for local schools. And so my parents were all about market day because you'd still get a good dinner, but then all they really had to do was defrost it. That being said, is it as good as fresh? Absolutely not. (laughs) But what I learned growing up was a a lot of microwave skills and not a lot of oven or stove skills. Oh, that's so funny. I never heard the word skills after the word microwave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure if uh, if it's, yeah, I'm not sure if it's a normal phrase. No, it's the biggest foodie oxymoron ever. It sure is. It sure is. So it sounds like now, seeing as though you make your living as a traveler, kind of Mm -hmm. like a digital traveler, uh, creating videos and so on, has your love for food increased during these years? Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like travel has helped me branch out even more than I naturally would if I was just exploring around the city of Chicago. And I'll give Chicago credit that we have restaurants from almost every country in the world within this city alone. So you don't have to travel far in order to get a wide variety of things. But from going to many different continents, many different countries, um, for just my own personal pleasure and for my work, I am really thrilled to be able to like have tried different local cuisines in different places. And in that sense, I feel like you can really connect with the culture and really get a deeper understanding with the culture when you're trying something that everybody else eats there. (laughs) And especially different foods that you can't even find um, where you live. That makes it extra special. Oh, yeah. Liz, tell everyone the, the name of your channel on YouTube, and then we'll continue on. Sure. It's called Means to Travel. Um, so if you type in Means to Travel, you'll see my face. So it's funny, that has kind of like multiple meanings. Yes. So Means to Travel is like whether you have the means to travel or that you have a determination to travel. How, how was it when you created the name of your your channel where were you thinking at that point i'm so glad you asked that um so the reason why i chose that name is because of the many different avenues that you can take it so what i like to tell people is that i focus on meaningful travel and the means to get there Mm -hmm. regardless of the means being you know transportation the financial means you know, all of that sort of thing. Um, I like to help people figure out how to travel more. What did you do during the COVID time when people really weren't traveling? How did you kind of readjust or pivot during that time? That was a very difficult time because my channel is actually very new. And so um, being such a new YouTuber around then, I think I had under a thousand subscribers um, going into 
COVID. My husband uh, coincidentally got to take kind of a garden leave in between two employers for the end of 2020 and beginning of 2021. And we were able to travel, but in a safe way. Um, and in a in a way that we weren't breaking any sort of rules and we were being extremely careful. So what we did during the fall of 2020 was, well, first we, we actually um, rented out our house here in Chicago to a different family during summer of 2020. And then during fall of 2020, we went to the UK and the UK you we had to like quarantine for 14 mm-hmm. days could not leave our airbnb and this was before a vaccine or anything like that and so we completely quarantined in place i actually documented it on my channel um, about 14 days of quarantine where we couldn't even leave to go for a walk and we ordered in all of our groceries to be delivered to our Airbnb and we cooked at home. And then after that, we were able to explore around more of the remote areas of England and Scotland. And that's because some of those more remote areas had much, much lower COVID numbers and right. therefore allowed more tourism in and out of those areas. Some of the bigger cities at the time, we weren't allowed to go into, which we didn't, but we were able to navigate our way around. And then coming back at Christmas time, we then quarantined in Derek's parents' basement for (laughs) for 10 days um, because his mom has an autoimmune disease. We did not want to, you know, we never left the basement for 10 days, spent the holidays there. And then we embarked on a four month road trip all around the United States. Oh, wow. So it was extremely, it was a precious time for us because my husband, Derek, has never had that much time off work. And so we actually cherish a lot of that time that we got to have together traveling, even though we were so isolated, just the two of us exploring. Talk a little bit about the paranoia that was going on just amongst the public and how travel and then, of course, the road trip that you did with Derek how just being on top of each other 24-7, how that was during <laughs> during that experience. I'm sure you ran into a few issues. Yeah, of course, there was a ton of rules that we needed to stay abreast about that were ever-changing, and that paranoia was always there. We were very much, we're, we are rule followers. We're not mm-hmm. trying to break any rules and, and endanger anyone in any way. Um, so, we were very lucky that we were able to, you know, look at the government websites every single day, follow the protocols, follow all local protocols. We actually got our first vaccine in Yuma, Arizona mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on our road trip. How and, romantic. <laughs> oh, I know. And we had to we had to drive three hours to get it. And so yeah, it it there was definitely an isolation factor. Like I was I was really glad that that we had the two of us and we had an online community of other travelers that were connected with. You've actually interviewed the Walters on this channel yeah, um, great. who we're very close with amongst a lot of their other followers. Um, and so we were able to keep a community of travelers, even though we were kind of just seeing the two of us and to, mm-hmm. to go into what you were saying about kind of like being on top of each other. Oh right. my goodness. We were absolutely 
with each other 24 seven. And especially given the fact that like right now, Derek's working while we filmed this, Derek was not working <laughs> um, while, while we were doing all of this travel. And so, um, you know, I might be filming a video and he might be right next to me reading a book or something like that. So it was a lot of togetherness. And luckily we came out of it even, even closer and even more grateful for each other out of that experience. Oh, that's a great story because I was thinking, you know, you'd be right in the middle of recording or editing and he'd be saying off screen or off camera, like, hey, babe, what are you doing? And I'd like, <laughs> you'd have to go, shit, I have to yeah. do a retake. <laughs> well, exactly. Luckily, he is really supportive of yeah. the content that I create and he even enjoys, you know, having some input and, and, and being around the behind the scenes as well. He's even in a few of the videos on my channel too, so. Does he normally try to steer clear of the camera lens? During that time frame, the 2020, 2021 videos, he was in a lot of them. And I think he's kind of a ham. People seem to like him and he's, he's fine in front of the camera. Um, he has one of those radio voices that everybody just gravitates towards. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he knows it. <laughs> um, well, so, but, you know, he needs to get his own podcast, right? Right. Exactly. Uh -huh. um, and that being said, I would say that he is somebody who at this stage where, you know, he is now back to working really closely with clients and stuff like that. He's a little bit less eager to be in front of the camera. Right. Now, a moment ago, you mentioned that Derek is a bit of a ham, uh, which leads me and kind of dovetails into the fact that over in Europe, so many countries think that they have the world's greatest ham. Can yep. you speak to that a little bit? Well, I don't know which ones are claiming it other than the Hamon Iberico in Spain, but mm -hmm. I, from my experience, that is by far the best. Is that and, right? Yes. And I can't say that I've tried every single country's ham, but that one I can't imagine being beat because they take such pride in the preparation of it. It's interesting. We actually have a restaurant that recently opened here in Chicago that serves Hamon Iberico that is flown in. Um, and then they, they, you know, serve, they carve it at the table and all of that. And it's just such not only a cultural experience, but flavor wise, it's just this like explosion of savoriness and, and deliciousness in your mouth. And how about that contraption that they bring that out on? It's like, looks so crazy, like from, you know, the ancient times, but exactly. that wild? what do you call that thing? I want to say it's a spit. Uh-huh. Um, but I can't quite recall the name. <laughs> it, like it holds up the whole entire leg and then they right. cut it on the angle and it's just like, wow, that's pretty amazing. It is. It is. And the price it creates, it. it creates a showmanship to right. do it. Right. Oh, yeah. What I was thinking is kind of like a medieval type of torture chamber type of thing, right? The way it looks right. like, it's, like it's holding it. Maybe I, for everyone, you'll overlay <laughs> across the screen right. so we can exactly. all see. <laughs> I, I'm going to do that. The prices of it totally blew my mind, though. It was like in the two, 300 euro per kilo price range, right? I, I have no clue, to be honest, what the pricing is like at the moment. But my understanding is the reason is because there's so much that goes you know, like fattens them up, if mm -hmm. you will, like so much that goes into creating the high quality ingredient that you are consuming. Um, right. So it's similar, you know, the way that I think about it is almost like with foie gras that comes out of France, where there's people that have been doing this for generations, they know how to make it 
perfectly and they know how to make it consistent. And so the price reflects paying those people for their knowledge on top of the ingredients themselves. So when you mentioned foie gras, is that at the very, very top list of yours as far as like the most delicious and delectable things on earth? (laughs) Probably in terms of something really fatty. Yes. Uh Uh (laughs) My top, top favorite food is sushi though. I will, I will admit. Oh, is that right? Do you have a particular favorite fish? Salmon. Mm-hmm. So salmon sushi would be your ultimate, ultimate. That would be on your last meal, for for instance. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, I'm the largest sushi fan, so much so that my birthday in February, my friends threw me a sushi-themed birthday party. Oh, wow. Was it like <laughs> chock full of salmon? It was. Yeah, lots of salmon. So because you're a salmon lover, do you eat it in all different fashions? you eat lox and do you eat baked and you eat broiled and along with the sushi as well? you eat salmon in all of its different ways? I do. And so Derek and I used to live in New York City for eight years. And that's the first place that I was exposed to lox that are just out of this world good. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say Scotland makes some really good locks too, now that I'm more of a lock connoisseur. (laughs) But the the smoked locks that you can get on a bagel in New York are so delicious, and I highly recommend those. But I I actually cook a lot of salmon at home. Um, In fact, I would say that the thing that I cook better than Derek is fish. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure why he's like kind of the meat and the veggie person and tacos and all that. But if we're making fish at home, especially salmon, I'm the one that does it. And I like to experiment with different seasonings, different sauces. It kind of creates a a new experience with each with each piece of fish. Oh, well, do you uh, pan fry or do you saute or do you broil? How do you, you usually prepare it? I would say that I usually bake it, uh-huh. um, but... When I do that, I I often either use olive oil with a kind of like dill and other seasoning mix. Mm -hmm. I I really like dill with salmon. Or I'll use um, the Primal Kitchen no soy teriyaki sauce. And Mm -hmm. it is an expensive bottle of of teriyaki sauce, but I like that it's dairy-free and soy-free and keto-friendly because sometimes Derek's eating a keto-friendly diet due to his family health history. And so I don't have to worry about it. And it is delicious every time. Just add a little ginger on top too. I definitely want to return to the keto thing, but I was going to make mention of a really great way to make salmon. If it's, let's say, a one-inch thick piece, you can make Mm -hmm. a homemade aioli using a good oil like olive oil, extra virgin. Great. Add in some tarragon, smear it onto the salmon, pop it in in a 425 oven, 10 minutes per inch of salmon thickness, and the mayo just with, with the great olive oil is fantastic. So oh, that you, sounds heavenly. If you can make that, it takes like a minute in a food processor or um, one of those small stick blenders to make your own mayo at home, which is really, really healthy. Can, yeah. you, eat, can you eat eggs? I can. Yes. Oh, well, then if you've not made it before, it's really simple, a little mustard, uh, an egg yolk, and um, and great olive oil, and pretty much salt, pepper, and maybe a tiny bit of mustard, and you've got yourself a mayo in like a minute. You don't have to buy all that crap off the shelf. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. Um, I I really like aioli, and mm-hmm. I've had it only at restaurants with tarragon. I've never thought to get it at 
from my house. Derek has made mayonnaise at our home before, my yeah. husband. So I, I feel like I need to just try this tonight or tomorrow. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I can give you a little tip and pointer if you ever need uh, off the air. To, I mean, truly, you can make it in one minute <laughs> after you put all Perfect. the ingredients. Perfect. Okay. So, yeah, pretty That'll simple. be our follow-up. <laughs> so when you're traveling and before you get to your destination, Liz, do you think about well, where am I going to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? What kind of research do I need to do? Do I need to contact Jocelyn and Mark Walters from Walters World? Or do I want to contact Matthew in Hawaii, the chef and the former traveler? Or what do I do? I mean, how do you do your research as to where you're going to eat? That's a great question. And I am not the biggest person when it comes to researching restaurants myself. And I definitely lean on other people's recommendations first. That is my starting point. And so... Um, for example, I just went to Crete for the first time in Greece in May with my family and Jocelyn, of course, was and she her family's from Crete. And I she was the first person that I messaged saying, give me all of your recommendations, especially for where and which restaurants to make reservations at. Yeah. Um, a lot of times if I am going to a larger city, especially during a like busier travel season, then I'll definitely make reservation, like one reservation a day. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do two a day because that seems a little bit too aggressive scheduling wise. And you might get something thrown off, but one a day, whether it be lunch or dinner. And um, usually it'll be a friend recommending that place or perhaps a trusted online resource or guidebook resource. So you know, if, if something's well, and usually I'll cross check to make sure something's well rated and recent reviews are positive. <laughs> it's not just, you know, a guidebook re recommendation from 10 years ago. And now the sh all of a sudden the chef has changed and um, the food isn't as good and people are, are mentioning that. So how did it work out in Crete? Were Jocelyn's suggestions right on? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and she actually is really good um, about recommending what dishes to get and and both Mark Walters and Jocelyn Walters are phenomenal at recommending the local cuisines to try and they have a whole YouTube channel called Walters World Eats that talks more about the dishes than restaurant recommendations. Right, and, so and that's a very safe place that. to be. Smart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you're utilizing friends uh, referrals and so on, are you absolutely trying all of the local specialties pretty much everywhere you go? I do my very best. I do have personally two limitations. Um, I'm allergic to oranges and I am lactose intolerant. And the lactose intolerance is, a, um, you know, there's workarounds where you can take a lactate pill or, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I might not react super strongly to very small amounts of dairy. However, um, the, the only thing that I would say are my true limitations are cream, like heavy cream uh -huh. and oranges. <laughs> That's interesting. I've never heard of an orange allergy. Is there some sort of a protein or an enzyme in that that you're allergic to? It's very rare. Um, you're right. Most people say they've never heard of it. I am not 100% sure, but I'm certain that I'm allergic to the zest of an orange huh. because I react to even like bitters and an orange zest. But I haven't quite figured it all out, but I've been allergic to it my whole life. And is that something that kind of follows through with all different various citrus? No, which is so lucky. 
Uh-huh. I can I can have grapefruit. I can have lemons and limes, and um, so it, it doesn't limit me too much. It's just so orange. you can have a tangerine, but not an orange. I can have mandarin oranges uh-huh. and some tangerines. Also, then really, that's not much of a restriction at all. If you have that kind of a workaround, that's great. It's not, but it, it, you know, I have a funny travel story in regards to that, where I was eating dinner with Derek in in Paris one time, and. I have such a sensitivity to the taste of orange because I never have it. Right. We were eating a carrot soup that we were served and I had to ask the waiter and I was like, there is definitely orange in this. And even though it's not on the menu and I, he's like, uh, I don't think so, but let me check with the chef and comes back and lo and behold, he's like, oh yes, there is orange <laughs> in this, you know, just a tiny bit. I'm sure it was just zest or something like that, right. but when you have, you know, when you never eat something, then that flavor can really come out. Right. It was probably very pronounced for you in that situation. And speak to our audience about this, because a lot of people have allergies to foods. When you encounter something that you're allergic to, you go, oh dear, do you have to reach for your EpiPen or do you just freak out? Or what exactly is the next or correct step to take? Um, If you need an EpiPen, which thankfully I am just highly sensitive and it's more of like a headache and and my eyes get really watery. So I'm very grateful that that's the level of allergy that I'm at. But if you need an EpiPen, then please travel with an EpiPen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great (laughs) advice, actually. Yes. And I actually, um, I've just mentioned I was in Greece and I was with my family and my uncle is allergic to both he's allergic to casein so it's he's not lactose intolerant he's actually allergic to the pro the animal protein that's in cow's milk Mm -hmm. and um he also is gluten intolerant so we have to navigate these allergy menus and there are certain countries that are really really good about it the uk is exceptional they at every restaurant it's mandatory that they have at least if you ask for it a whole list of all of the top allergens Mm -hmm. um and what's in each and every dish that they serve so um and of course if you're an english speaker it's even easier because then (laughs) you can cross-reference your your allergies and it's just like an excel spreadsheet that they hand you and they're like here you go You know, it, um, appears, it appears that some of the more forward-thinking countries have that, and it really is helpful because people who are gluten-sensitive or, or lactose-sensitive and those kinds of things, really, yeah. those products are in so many finished items that it's yeah. really nice to know ahead of time. And for other countries, I mean, trust your gut yeah. and um, trust your taste buds. So there's certain times where, for example, I've been... This has happened more in the U.S. than in actual Latin America, but um, I've had a a guacamole served to me that had sour cream mixed in, which is Mm -hmm. not the traditional way to prepare guacamole. Um, And in America, I've seen that, you know, sometimes they they might mix it in to make it stretch a little further or something like that. Maybe they have not as many avocados as they thought they would have. And in that sense, I like use my eyes and I say, okay, that green is like that color is slightly different than usual. And then, you know, if I taste it, I'm like, okay, this definitely has something different. And if, you know, if, if you are remotely questioning it, either don't eat it or, you know, just double check and you're going to stay safe that way. 
Yeah, no, that's great advice. Guacamole is is an item, not an ingredient. And right. So, and it is made a thousand different ways. Every person makes it differently. So it's it's got to be really difficult when you have sensitivities that are going to upset you or that you're allergic to. You have to ask so many questions. Have you found over the years, depending on where you're traveling, that asking a lot of questions of the wait staff is a difficult communication? And if so, are you speaking to them in English or do you speak multiple languages? And how does that transaction take place? Um, if I'm in a place that speaks English, I've actually found that it's very straightforward and just saying, I can't eat this. And almost every place that I've been takes it very seriously. And that's lucky. Obviously, use your good judgment of like, if you're at a food truck or something, and you're, you're not totally sure. And it's, if you have celiac, there's a cross contamination issue, like trust your gut. <laughs> but I thankfully personally have not had any issues um, in that regard, especially in English speaking countries. In non-English speaking countries, the way that I approach it is um, I both try to learn the phrase, um, I can't eat dairy or I can't eat cream in the local language, or I um, have the Google Translate app on my phone and I just type it in and automatically translate it and then show it to the wait staff. Mm -hmm. So that way they can read, I'm allergic to this. And oftentimes that, you know, just evaporates any sort of language barrier and you see their eyes be like, oh, okay. (laughs) Right, right. If you're allergic to dairy, does that mean that Liz does not eat pizza? I will eat pizza um, occasionally and suffer the the consequences. (laughs) Yeah. The cheese element varies based on where you are because some places have a ton of cheese and some do not, that sort of thing. The reaction is just more of like a discomfort when it comes to pizza than Mm -hmm. if I ate a fettuccine Alfredo, like good night. Right. But it's so worth it. <laughs> it kidding. sometimes can be, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I want to circle back to, uh, you made mention uh, that Derek occasionally goes on keto because of yeah. family history. And, and I pretty much practice keto and intermittent fasting and have for several years. And I've never, ever felt better in my entire life. And this is coming from someone who lived his life to excess for a million years and actually as a chef helped others live life to excess. So my diet is extremely limited right now and has been for a number of years. And I miss all those great foods. So I'm even more limited than a lot of people with high allergies. Wow. Yeah. And I personally have not done either intermittent fasting or um, keto, but uh-huh. I have, Derek has done it off and on since 2015. So we, I've lived in the same house as somebody on keto and somebody doing intermittent fasting. He's even done some multi-day fast, right. um, which is fascinating to me as somebody who gets hungry every few hours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know, your body gets used to it. Like I understand the science behind it. Um, And I've educated myself so I can support him. And it's fascinating. And it it can be so helpful to anyone who, um, I mean, like I mentioned, both my, both my in-laws have, have diabetes. So Derek's doing what he can to prevent Oh yeah, you know, diabetes is is one of the hugest thing. Half of our audience right now, Eliz, is either suffering from prediabetes, 
has type 2 diabetes and or is obese and is fighting yeah. obesity. And so that's why it's such and an obesity, important... obesity, unfortunately, is a risk factor for diabetes as well. Absolutely. Well, it all comes down to the diet. I think what you're putting in inside your body is going to start to create that kind of a thing. And that's how I've been spending a lot of my time is helping people uh, reverse their disease and get off their meds and hopefully fight back diabetes as much as possible. And a lot well, of that thank has to you do for doing that. Yeah. You know, a lot of it has to do with the wrong foods and creating inflammation because, you know, a lot of non-infectious disease is an outcome of inflammatory foods and what's happening right. to your body. So people think about keto and they think, well, it's only, that's for people who need to lose weight or that's for, you know, that people don't really understand that it's about fighting inf inflammation, which is, is one of the leading causes of, of, of death, I guess, when you take, when you stretch it out. It is. And um, have you read, so I've read um, many of Dr. Andrew Weil's books and How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger, uh -huh. all of which talk about inflammation and specifically yeah. foods that are linked very strongly to inf inflammation. Mm -hmm. I've done myself anti-inflammatory diets. I They haven't been keto, but I've done ones that I give up some of the seven most inflammatory foods. And you're right. You feel like a million bucks once what like you might have cravings like the first couple days but starting week two you're like oh my gosh I feel like my energy is back I feel yeah. more comfortable in my own skin oh yeah when you cut out a lot of those terribly inflammatory foods like seed oils and mm -hmm. when you cut down on the carbs significantly you start to feel better you start to feel more clear and if you'll recall and i think everybody has this sensation when you eat in the middle of the day or even early in the day and it's a high carb laden meal maybe with a lot of sugars also you start to feel that kind of like i'm dozing off feeling and you feel very right. lethargic during the day but when you're on keto you have energy throughout the entire time you don't nod out and you don't feel lazy or lethargic ever. So that's yeah. another interesting part about that kind of diet. Absolutely. Yeah. And my husband has mentioned exactly what you're saying. Um, every time he does, you know, keto combined with intermittent fasting, um, that the energy level doesn't peak or drop. Right. It stays very level. Right. Yeah. It's really, really healthy stuff. I'm a big proponent of what Derek is doing and, and other people who are doing, you know, Mediterranean diets or other kind of low carb lifestyles. Yeah. I think it's real important to do that. That's close to how I would describe how I eat is I do Mediterranean diet combined with a little bit more like Chinese and Japanese cuisines. Mm -hmm. All the great stuff is just so fantastic. When you speak about travel to folks who don't get to travel very much. Do you ever go into the aspect of just how difficult it is to begin the whole experience, learning to pack and learning how to get through TSA and what you should do here, what you should do there, because there's a lot of effort to make this happen. So could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I think that I am personally aware that everyone starts from scratch at some point in time. Um, there are going to be those people out there whose parents took them on planes when they were two years old, but the vast majority of humans on this planet want to travel and don't have a lot of experience doing it. And so that's where I found my personal niche of trying to help people figure out, okay, how do I even think about packing? How do I think about budgeting for this trip? How do I think about planning an itinerary? And it is kind of getting into basics in a way, um, if, or at least what would 
feel like basics for somebody who travels frequently, but there is so much that is kind of like building muscle when it comes to travel. Um, literally and figuratively, because you need a lot of muscle to like lift those suitcases around. (laughs) But you're also learning a new skill. And it's not something that, you know, is taught in schools or anything like that. You're learning how to pack, you're learning how to optimize a time that should be extremely enjoyable. And for you, a time that is you investing in your own happiness. Do you advise people to not travel during the summer months because of the increased prices and, of course, the increased crowds? If you have the option not to, then yes. I just traveled at the end of April and beginning of May specifically for that reason. Mm -hmm. After last summer traveling over the 4th of July weekend and to both trips to Europe and The difference is that you might sacrifice a couple more rainy days if you're going in the shoulder season, spring and fall. But if you're there in the summertime, it can be hot and there's so many people and the prices and the restaurant, you know, you have to like book your tables at restaurants really far in advance because there's so many people. It's just easier logistically to travel during shoulder seasons in in many places. That being said, Uh, Not everybody has that option. Um, There's teachers out there who only have summers off. Um, There's a a lot of people. Families with kids. kids, And um, that's when they can travel. So I just want to encourage people to figure out what's within their budget and going to make them some new memories, regardless of time of year. Do you come from the camp of the people who pack way too much or the camp of the people who say, just bring a carry-on, they have stores in other countries and you can pick up stuff if you need it and that kind of thing. It's easier to be portable and be able to get around and mobile than to be schlepping a big giant suitcase all over. I'm absolutely a less is more person. Uh Um, And that came from experience because when you are new to travel, you want to prepare for everything. At least that's the typical, I don't know, mindset is like, oh my gosh, what if they don't have my ibuprofen at the pharmacy in Sweden? (laughs) I better bring my Motrin. And so it's funny. I think Rick Steves, the um, OG travel man said it best where it's like, you know, 300 million people have figured out how to live over, (laughs) over where you're going. then you, you'll probably find something that's going to work for you. I'd like to travel carry-on only mm-hmm. as much as I possibly can for just ease of getting through train stations and um, not feeling like I feeling like I can I can handle all of my things on my own, but also because I fly standby a lot. Um, my best friend is a flight attendant for an international carrier based in the U.S., and I get some standby privileges through her. Uh And so when you fly standby, you're not sure if you're going to get on a plane or not. So having that uncertainty has allowed me to like really figure out what I need because there's no way that I'm going to check a bag if I'm not sure if I'm going to get a seat on the plane. What would you say your batting average is flying standby? In the summertime, it's really low. I've Uh gotten, it's funny because like I've flown standby to Europe and several times where I can get there and then I can't get home. (laughs) people are like oh shucks you're stuck in paris for four days i'm like yeah but that's a lot in hotel prices and stuff like that right um and so it's it's one of those things where 
I I love the opportunity to do it, to do it, but you have to have a lot of flexibility. So I don't, I don't know how, I don't think it's the type of lifestyle that absolutely anyone could do because there's going to be a lot of people who have to report back to an employer or have to be home because they have a dog sitter who has to be left, you know? So it's, it, it's a choice that I've made whilst in my early thirties to, to do it, um, you know, unencumbered without a dog or kids or anything right now, but I see where it can be something that might not be able to, to continue forever. Sure. And okay, Liz, you need to give it up now. Traveling standby, like you have several times, how many nights have you had to sleep in an airport overnight because you missed your flight? I am so lucky. I have had zero times that I've had to sleep in an airport. That Um, can't be so. (laughs) I have slept in many airport hotels Uh where I, you know, was like, there's no way I'm getting on this flight. I might as well just get a hotel now. Or, you know, I didn't get on the flight. I need to get in the hotel. But there's another YouTuber couple out there that Mm -hmm. also flies standby that I follow called um, their channel called Adventures with Matt and Nat. And Nat is an airline employee and they just had to sleep at JFK a couple weeks ago. Uh-huh. And I was messaging with them, you know, privately being like, oh my gosh, I've never had to do that yet. And now you just made me so nervous <laughs> that it's going right. to happen to me. <laughs> well, I hope I didn't just jinx you by asking that question. I've always been able to find a hotel. Um, and another thing that I should add when you fly standby is I always fly standby knowing that I'm going to have kind of like a slush budget of at least 10% of the cost of the trip should go Mm -hmm. towards like, kind of like emergency fund, if you will. And in my head, something like that would be part of the emergency fund. Do you remember back uh, some years ago when people were doing a lot of travel hacking and uh, racking up air miles with their credit cards? Is that still a thing? It is. It very much is. And there's some great cards out there, especially if you are somebody who has the ability to, you know, has a good credit score and you're able to pay off your credit card every month. Um, I would never recommend somebody do something reckless and, and get themselves, you know, into debt or something like that. But credit card hacking and travel hacking from that can be a really good option. And Derek and I actually did that for our honeymoon. Um, oh. Derek really took out uh, Hilton and a Hyatt credit card and then three other travel credit cards um, around the time that we were getting like the year before we got married. And we paid for, I want to say probably three quarters of our honeymoon just through point. And it was like a luxury honeymoon. It was nice. Oh, that's amazing. For for people who don't know what travel hacking is, it's it's basically the awards that you get when you sign up for a new credit card mm-hmm. and you spend a certain minimum spend within a period of time, maybe 60 days or 90 days. Is that correct? Correct. And on top of that, there's other ways to earn points even after the, those initial 90 days. And my biggest tip is if you are loyal to a certain airline, like I live in Chicago and American Airlines is a pretty, pretty, this is one of their hubs pretty big airline out of here. So I kind of focus on earning American miles. And if you are Christmas shopping, doing online Christmas shopping, you can go to the American Airlines shopping portal. And if you just click a link from the shopping portal to the website that you're shopping on, there's tons of websites out there that will offer like these bonus points through these shopping portals. And United and Delta have them too. That way you can get like five to 10 points per dollar you spend 
at Christmas time, if you're spending like a thousand dollars on gifts for all of your family members or something, you can get 5,000, 10,000 miles and that can really add up over time. Oh yeah. You know, I noticed that probably prior to COVID airline miles seemed like they were a really good deal. It seems like after COVID in these post COVID days that the airlines are not giving good value anymore for the number of miles that people have. Have you noticed any sort of a shift? I've definitely noticed that with Delta. American, I was able to fly to Europe this winter, um, you know, going during off season, there was kind of like a last minute miles special. So you can find those rare instances still with certain airlines that you're going to get a little bit of a deal. But I feel like Delta has shifted a little bit. Um, They're trying to lean more into um, a higher end traveler and they're getting rid of some of those like screaming points deals, unfortunately. Right, right, right. And and really what they should be spending their time is getting rid of the screaming little babies and kids on board (laughs) the plane. Um, I don't want to, you know, parent shame or baby shame anyone. Um, Go right ahead. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Babies sometimes need to travel too. But all that to be said, I think that there's, there's ways to be polite, polite passenger, regardless of who you are. And that's the most important thing is is, you know, if you're bringing a baby on a plane, you know, hopefully you have all the, the tools you need in order to make that baby comfortable. Very, very diplomatic of you, Liz. But how do you deal with someone else's screaming baby? How do you find your zen to be able to deal with an unruly passenger? So I try not to talk to people on planes. Um, <laughs> out of my face. <laughs> no uh, questions. Which is the opposite of my husband. Oh, my uh-huh. goodness. Derek, he has met people who have like invited him to dinner on airplanes. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> He is one of those people that... Um, like I said, he's kind of a ham and people people tend to like him so uh, he can make friends on airplanes. I, first of all, try not to like engage with others. And I think creating your own kind of like personal bubble really helps you navigate the different. You're getting a lot of people's energy thrown at you when you're on a plane. Like my, I told you, my best friend's a flight attendant. She does yoga all the time because she's like, I just need to get other people's energies and attitudes like out of me right now. But another thing, another tip that I have is um, I try to do noise canceling headphones with a Zen playlist, what I call Uh my nap time playlist Uh on a plane. And especially if it's a long haul flight, I will, I have like, I don't know, 10 hours of just Navajo flute music, um, (laughs) Zen yoga music, just all the things that are going to either put me to sleep if I want to sleep or just feel very calming. And it triggers those like neurotransmitters in you that this is time to relax. This is, this is your time to kind of like shut down and just, just chill. All that's missing from that equation is the trickling brook and the burning sage and maybe some incense and you'd really have it. If only those things could be on an airplane too. Um, yeah, just cre- just bring that spot in, in in any way you can. <laughs> it's like, a, wake me up when the food comes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or speaking- even I'd, I've listened to it while the food, while I'm eating the airplane food too. Uh, okay. Now, speaking of food, which airline in your opinion serves the best food? Um, in the airplane lounges, hands down, it's Delta. I think they serve not only the best food, but the ingredients are really strong. And I feel like 
they have a, a much better menu that caters to allergy needs. So they always have like veggies and hummus at any time of day. So that's the lounge, my lounge one. When it comes to actual airline food, I, I like don't want to say Delta again per se, but I almost want, I almost think I have to because I think that they, they, Delta just focuses on food. And like I said before, they, they're really trying to gear themselves towards a slightly higher end consumer in order to attract someone who might pay a little bit more. Like that's their current marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. So I can see why they would emphasize food in that sense too. So when you're playing it high roller style and very, very fancy, is Delta still at the top of the list of lounges? And if so, would it be at uh, any of the American facilities or would they be overseas facilities? So I have access to the Delta lounges through a credit card. So I'm, is that the the question is if I'm trying to get, get into a lounge, do I go the Delta route or? Yeah. And do you see any difference between the lounges here in the United States versus the lounges maybe, you know, at Heathrow or, or wherever around the country, around the world? Yes. And it kind of depends on the brand of the lounge. Um, so the Centurion lounges, which are only offered to Amex customers and uh -huh. certain Amex credit cards, are very high-end, including at Heathrow. It's a very high-end one. British Airways, their lounge at Heathrow is outstanding, but you mm -hmm. know that's their international hub. And so I would say, regardless of where you're at, if an airline has a hub in that city, the lounge is likely going to be really good. But there's all these other smaller lounges that have been popping up. Um, I went to one in Amsterdam, I want to say it was last month because I was on I was on a layover. And gosh, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's it was a very it was a much smaller lounge. Um, it still gave you a lot of space, gave you the free Wi-Fi, just the food wasn't as outstanding as ones that serve like basically a catered breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> for its customers. So the lounge experience can vary, but usually that's reflected in the price and the ease of getting into that lounge. Right. I've seen over on, I think it might be eBay, where people sell lounge passes. Have you ever oh, really? heard about that? I have not, but you mentioning that doesn't surprise me that that market exists. It's pretty amazing because it, for those who've never been in an airport lounge, it is truly fancy. It's like a four or five star experience. And, you know, they have free flowing alcohol yep. and food coming out of the yin yang. It's like, wow, how did I find myself here? So it's something that I think is worthwhile experience, especially if you can pick it up from, from an eBay at like cutthroat costs, really oh, yeah. low end. Um, and my husband, uh, Derek, on his Instagram handle, which is Mr. Means to Travel, um, when he, Derek used to fly internationally for work all the time. And he, at this new company, does not anymore. But at his old company, he would fly to those really cool um, international airports and he would do Instagram stories of the different lounges and the food options there and stuff. Oh, neat. Yeah. And so, he would save them in the highlights. So that way, if anybody was going to the lounges, they'd be able to go back into kind of like his archive and see, okay, so this is what this lounge looks like. And it was actually a couple times very helpful for even me where I was like, all right, what what's in this lounge and what's the experience like? And you can, you can do that even on YouTube. You can see what people are, um, you know, different lounge tours and stuff and, and make a call of if it makes sense for you. Are you astounded by the incredible growth of YouTube and the content creators that are out there, and especially in these last three, four years? 
Yeah, I'm happy. I think there's a lot of room even for people to create more. I think a lot of the way that people consume media has shifted over the past 10 years. And for example, like I watch a lot of my YouTube on my smart TV, which Mm -hmm. like while I'm cooking or while I'm eating. And so I think that it's not just something that somebody watches on their phone anymore when they're trying to like figure out how to fix a leaky faucet. It's something that is actually connecting them with others and helping people find their their own interest niches and other people interested in those things too. So as a content consumer, as mm-hmm. we all are, do you personally ever just say, I want to listen to something, maybe turn on a podcast instead of something that's going to be a visual so you can go ahead and cook or fix the faucet or sweep the floor and not have to keep your eyes fixed on a position of the television? Yeah, some, something like this. Um, I would would watch many of your interviews kind of while doing something else, but having the TV on right there or a podcast. Um, I will definitely listen to while I'm driving or an audiobook, And especially when I have to clean the house. Oh my goodness. Having something on to distract my mind <laughs> from the fact that I'm upset that I have to do some cleaning. That's really helpful. It's a total bummer. Does anybody enjoy cleaning their house? Really? I I think you have to have a very special personality for that. (laughs) (laughs) Especially you special kind of quotations there, I can tell. (laughs) I'm sure there's somebody out there and that person um, needs to be celebrated. I mean, we all feel a sense of accomplishment after we've done something and we say, hey, honey, guess what I did? I vacuumed, you know, it's like a big deal. But yeah, it's like something that I don't think really too many people enjoy very much. I don't think so either. So Liz, if somebody was asking you, okay, I'm going to be traveling what kind of a bug out bag do I need? What kind of a bag that has all the emergency products? I know when I spoke to Jocelyn, she she recommends for women to bring an extra pair of panties. What would be in your bug out bag that you can't miss out on traveling with? Well, that's a good one. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I would say I always bring the, you have to kind of know yourself and what are your absolute necessities. For me, I need to bring like a certain amount of like medications from home, for example, Mm -hmm. that are over the counter that just will make me feel like if something happened and I'm in a place that doesn't have a 24 hour pharmacy, I'm going to be okay. So So, stuff like related to the tummy or eye drops, those kinds of things. Uh Um, And Benadryl is not legal um, everywhere. And so that's one thing that I always have with me. Um, And NyQuil as well. NyQuil is not legal everywhere. So, so does that make you an international smuggler if you're oh, carrying a- NyQuil across uh, country lines? <laughs> Dude, did I just admit something that I shouldn't have? I don't know. Maybe um, I, I don't just know. heard something. I never thought about it. I've never had anyone stop me, so I don't think so. <laughs> I guess do your research before you go to countries to make sure. But it's more, I, I, I meant to say that it's not sold everywhere. Right. Um, so like, for example, it, NyQuil specifically is not sold everywhere in, in Europe. Um, and the, that specific ingredient is not in any other pharmaceutical over-the-counter drugs there. So, yeah. Plus, it, but, it brings you a certain sense of comfort knowing you have something that will treat this affliction or that desire, right? right? I'm assuming that it, since I haven't gotten stopped, <laughs> I'm totally fine. <laughs> Knock on wood. Well, I'm sure... All of us would be willing to bail you out if we heard on the international news that you got popped for carrying NyQuil. 
For Benadryl. Can you imagine? <laughs> that would be a story, wouldn't it? <laughs> In the middle of everything. <laughs> um, so but anyway, yeah. So that would definitely be part of it. And then um, always have spare clothes. And then like a, I, I have these like laundry sheets that, are, that I can do sink laundry with. That way nothing... Um, and you can just plug the little the little sink drain and wash some clothes really quickly. So that that'll be a really helpful tool to always have with with you too. Well, that's good. It's it's always nice to know that you know from people like you who are experienced travelers to get these little tips and and hacks and things like that. It helps out a lot. Oh, totally. And I'm somebody who also watches a lot of other people talk about their tips and hacks um, because there's always stuff to learn. How do you learn your technical skills? You know, you obviously are socially skilled and you look good on camera and you know how to do what you do, but how did you learn how to edit? How did you learn how to piece things together and do the marketing and all the things related to that? My undergraduate degree is marketing. So I am a, was a business major, marketing and international business double major. And then um, after school, after I graduated from college, I worked at ad agencies for just under a decade and specifically focused in the digital media space mm -hmm. for most of my career in that. So I was helping brands like Microsoft, Procter & Gamble, Nikon create content, um, create advertisements and distribute them across digital ad spaces, as well as, um, you know, I've dabbled in a lot of the other different ad areas as well. So from that sense, I was able to really be able to figure out the ins and outs of content creation, especially as it developed over time, because there was so much that happened kind of like over a decade's time frame where things became more and more accessible to the everyday person. Mm -hmm. And then my final client that I worked on um, before I left advertising was Nikon. And I really commend them because they were so good at teaching me the fundamentals of filming and of camera work more than I had ever picked up from any of my other clients um, because I was more of like the business side of things. Right. I was never actually like in Photoshop or in or editing. So from just the digital marketing and, and digital content creation side of, of the advertising field, I kind of like took a step back when we moved back to Chicago from New York and decided to really go full time into means to travel. And I took about five months of just teaching myself all the things that I knew that I didn't know. So I was self-taught in Final Cut Pro uh -huh. and and in all of the Adobe like creative platforms. Mm -hmm. And from that kind of like time frame of just like re-educating myself, I was able to get to a point where I could really create videos, at least the ones that are on my channel. Oh, that's really cool. So it sounds like you went from this left brain thinker type, and then you learned a lot of the creative aspects of modern business and have been able to blend them together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. What would you like to tell people out there who are contemplating a nice long trip? What would they want to do? How would they want to plan it? And what kind of tips or tricks could you offer them now? So I would say if they are new to travel, figure out where really like sparks their excitement the most and focus on traveling to that place. And once you have a goal in mind of like, for example, I love Scotland, let's say it's Scotland. Um, once you're like, all right, in a year or two, I really want to go to Scotland, figure out, like do that backwards math of like, 
how much is this going to cost? How much time do I need to plan this trip and see all the things that I want to see? And there's probably going to be a ton of things that you can't fit in. Mm-hmm. Most most people don't have endless time. Like time is a super valuable resource for any traveler. Yeah. And so figure out like the must-dos, the nice-to-dos, and then the things that you can already cross off the list and start building your trip from there. And then once you see that, you can like there information's everywhere. You can figure out exactly to almost a T how much you're going to spend. And then always have that emergency fund on top of it. Right, right. I guess nowadays there is just so much information. So there's no excuse for not knowing how much something's going to be or where it's at or how long it will take. Right. And there's there's always the like extras that you have to think about that travel insurance, like maybe you might need to buy a new suitcase. Maybe you need to pay for your passport renewal, that sort of thing. So there's like the pre-trip stuff and the post-trip stuff. But if you are planning far enough in advance and dreaming dreaming and making your dream a reality, you can you can really like figure out the best way to execute it. You uh, just mentioned travel insurance. Are you a proponent of that? A hundred percent, especially since the pandemic. And granted, flying standby, you don't get travel insurance. But <laughs> if, if you are paying for a ticket, um, I highly recommend getting travel insurance because there's been a lot more cancellations that are likely not going to be your fault, um, but maybe might be weather related or strike related or something. And just having those backups and having the peace of mind is incredible. A lot of credit cards do offer travel insurance. Um, And so research if that's a part of a credit card that you have in your wallet and start there. But otherwise, there's some great resources out there to figure out which one makes the most sense for you. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Liz, I've had a friend for many, many years who's been begging me to go on a cruise with he and his wife. And he says, Matt, cruises are great. You can eat whenever you want. Like, hey, I can eat whenever I want here. Uh, I don't need to go on a cruise and sit in, uh, you know, on a boat with a bunch of Americans who are eating buffet and sitting in the water. It's like, I would much rather get down on the ground and see countries and and study their architecture and see their art and interact with the locals. Am I overly biased against cruise or is that something that fits in with a lot of people you know? I am in the same category as you. Um, I've actually never cruised. Derek has once and I don't have an interest in it. And I think it's because I, I, like you're saying, want to see and go and do. And um, while you can do things on like through cruise excursions and stuff like that, it's, I'm not there necessarily to relax when I'm on a trip. <laughs> right. Um, if you need a vacation where you just need to be able to relax and have that as an option and you want like a pool day as a backup, then like maybe cruising is a great choice. Or if you have really picky palate and you know that you just want access to pizza nonstop or something, I don't know. <laughs> but otherwise, I think if you're you're going on a vacation because you want an adventure, cruising is probably not the number one thing you could do. So we are totally in line with each other. No cruising. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to say no cruising because I think there are people out there that it makes sense for, but Uh no cruising for us. Right, right, right. Okay. That's a deal. (laughs) That's a deal. Chicago or New York style pizza and why? New York actually. And I I was born and raised in Chicago and New York style pizza is actually a personal like palate preference for me. 
Have you ever tried Detroit pizza? I have. It's not my favorite, but... Is that also similar to Chicago style in that it's like a deep dish type of crust? No, it's... But we... Now I want to think... Am I thinking of St. Louis style pizza? One of them is square cut. Okay. Is that St. Louis style? I'm not sure. Yeah. And so I think I think Chicago style is pretty unique in terms of like the, you are basically getting a pie. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so funny just how into pizza people are. It seems to be like the number one fancy food. Like if you ask pe- people what their favorite food is, I think pizza is going to come up more often oh, than yeah. not. And the toppings are really, people will fight over if toppings are correct or not. Right. Like what's wrong with you? You don't like anchovies and onions? <laughs> I mean, the, there's pineapple pizza people out there and then there's right. the true no, not pineapple pizza. <laughs> right. Where do you stand on the whole pineapple thing? I'm in the middle where I don't really order it unless unless that sounds like the best option on the menu. But oh I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the type of person who like yells at people for getting it. Oh, that's funny. Where were you this last time? What's going to be coming up on your channel and where will you be traveling to next? I was in Europe for a month recently and I actually took about a month and a half off of YouTube as a result of that, just trying to currently catch up on on all my editing because it's just me <laughs> doing all the things. Oh, really? You um, have another part of your life that you haven't told us about? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so I'm just trying to play catch up right now after that trip. And, um, so there'll be videos from, from Europe that you'll see on my channel. Um, and then coming up soon, I'm probably going to be doing an East coast trip as well as, um, potentially another trip to some new countries this fall. So we'll see what happens. Well, that sounds great. How relevant is it to be timely or is it okay if something feels a little bit outdated as long as it's interesting and nice to look at? I think it would be ideal to be extremely timely because then people can feel like they are truly going on that trip in real time with you. Yeah. But when it comes to like the content wheel for me and the fact that I'm, a, you know, a party of one creating content, I focus on quality over timeliness. Mm-hmm. And that's just a business decision that I've made. It's not necessarily what I wish were true. I wish I could do both, but I, the fact that I try to create really high quality content that is informative about a destination and evergreen where it's not going to be like expired information. That's what I focus on. So that way people can still watch it like five years from now and feel like it's still helpful. Right, right. When you're working on means to travel, are there times when you're traveling alone? And if so, what's it like being a female traveling alone in foreign places? I actually just filmed a video about this exact topic in Zurich um, in January, and um, it'll come out on my channel hopefully sometime soon. (laughs) How timely. Yeah. And I would say I travel alone probably a quarter of the time that I'm traveling and I never tell people that I'm alone. <laughs> right, right. Um, but, for but being reasons. alone is different than telling people. So how, what does it feel like? I mean, are you able to handle yourself? Do you feel as safe or what's that like? I am definitely extra cautious and I feel like I lean towards going to places that I feel much safer in than places that maybe have higher crime rates or something like that. Right. So I I am 
probably more cautious than some other female YouTubers out there. And whether that's a benefit or not, for me, that's just how it's going to be. I think it's good being cautious. You don't want to be one of those people who, you know, falls off a cliff while taking a selfie. So, (laughs) you know, you need to take care of yourself, right? And that's actually less of what is I'm fearful of as a solo traveler. I'm more fearful of like getting taken advantage of in in different forms. Like bad guys, bad girls, bad Bad, bad peeps. Yeah. <laughs> well, fantastic. I'm so glad, Liz, that you spent the time with me today here on 50 Tastes of Grey. I hope that you had a nice time with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to watch the interview when it goes live. What's your favorite season of the year? Summer. Well, I want to say aloha from Hawaii to you, Liz. Means to Travel is a really awesome channel. I recommend everybody checks it out. And we'll talk to you really soon. Great. Thanks. And uh, aloha. (laughs) Oh, nice. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.